All right. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Elite Physique University. We are on episode 79, and we have a really awesome guest here today with us. Um, before we dive into that and spill who it is, though, um, how's your guys' week been going, John and Jason? I know, Jason, you're getting ready to move, so how's that? Well, um, my appraisal came back, and it's good to go. The loan looks like it's there, and then you know, it's just all the bullshit of like coordinating everything. Cause I can't get up the first morning without internet and you know, all that shit. Cause I have, you know, clients to answer. Yeah. Um, but otherwise it's going good. Um, you know, I, I where I, I enjoy, uh, kind of getting it done and getting to the new place. Um, but right now I just got off a call with, um, a couple new hires for new ethics our regional sales director and um, we went over products and I had a really good meeting there. So, um, and then this week, Kayla actually joined Scooby preps. So that was a, that was a big, big thing too. So there's a lot of good things going on on my end. I've just been really, really busy. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I'm right. I'm, first of all, I'm excited about the house. So hurry up and get that done. So I can come out and stay mm -hmm. place for a week or a month, whatever, yes, whatever sir. you allow. <laughs> you can um, move in for a month. It don't matter. Yeah, I'm going to kick this off right here. Crack a cold one. So Monster Energy drink. Stan's like, wait, what are you drinking? Uh, but before we get to him, it, I've had a really busy week, a good week, though. Um, today and yesterday have been nothing but tasting samples for some new stuff that we have coming out. We do have a new premium collagen uh, peptide mix coming out that that's we're super excited about that. Um We've got a new apple pie flavor protein that's going to come out this fall. We just gave the thumbs up on that. Working on another EAA. So it's just that time of year. We're getting everything ready for all the fun stuff that happens in the fall and the winter, you know, with Black Fridays and Christmases and stuff like that. So super, super fortunate to be super overwhelmed, but it's it's a good thing. So you'll never hear me complain about that. So that's my week. What about you, Kayla? Awesome. Um, well, like Jason said, my big news for the week is I joined Scooby Prep, which is pretty awesome. I'm very excited about that. Um, been a part of Scooby Prep for like the last two years and to just be on the coaching team, like to think about that two years ago was like, oh my gosh, that's like so cool. And like now I'm here. So oh, I'm yeah. pretty excited right. about it. Congrats. Um, thank you. Otherwise, um, as of this morning, we are coming out of the mini cut phase because my body's just like, nope, let's just stay at the same weight for a while. So we're going to grow and I'm really excited about that. Um, start getting ready for the pro debut next year. And so that's been otherwise, yeah, just busy too, just re-coordinating everything with and whatnot and what all that stuff. So, so yeah, not too shabby of a week, I'd say. Yeah. It's a it's a great week, but we've got a uh, got a super special guest on the show, Kayla. Why don't you let everybody know what uh what we're about to hit them with? Yeah, so guys, we have a really awesome guest this week. Um, you probably know him really well from the Vertical Diet. Um, he's IFBB professional bodybuilder and also holds a top ten raw total for powerlifting at two thousand three hundred three pounds. Um, likes to call like the world's strongest bodybuilder. So we'd like to welcome on Stan Efforting this week with us. Hey, thanks guys. Thanks for having me. Good to join you. Yeah, of course. We're super happy to have you. So before we get started into the questions, um, I think John and I had a couple like little stories of just times we've met you and stuff. And if you don't remember, it's totally cool, but it just was like, it made it stand out for me as like someone that I looked up to in the industry as I was getting started because of 
you being like a very down to earth person and just very personable. So the first time I met you was at, you were in Fargo at a bodybuilding show and it was my first NPC show. I won the overall and I got one of your coolers and you got to hand it to me on stage. That was pretty cool. Um, and then I met you again at the 2018 Olympia and same thing, just like super personable, like gave me a big hug. Like you had known me forever. So like that, that stuff to me just always stands out as just people that I look up to and like that they come across that way in person is really, really awesome. So that's great. They say, never meet your heroes. They'll disappoint you. (laughs) (laughs) You definitely weren't disappointing. That, you know, that that's such a cool story. And this reminds me, it just reminds me before I tell mine that, you know, over the years, we've all, Jason, Kayla, myself, like we've all met really good people in the industry. Sometimes they've spoken at our events that we host, our conferences and stuff. And you can always see people that are up at the top that are very approachable and humble. And you remind me of like a John Meadows. You and John Meadows really remind me a lot of each other because you're super humble, super approachable. And you just like to help people. You like to educate. And that's that's my That was my first impression of you before I got to meet you. But this is going back to like 2017 or 18 when Super League first started in Las Vegas. If you remember that, it lasted for a couple of seasons. Great idea and great kind of concept. Um, Leslie um, was the very first. She's not here right now. She's out working. She was the very first pro athlete selected there by Jay, who ran the uh, Super League. So we went out there for a couple of times and you were out there as part of it to help out and we ended up getting, I, we still use it to this day, the, the cooler and it's pink, right? So yeah, we got to meet you there and you were just so down to earth. And we sat and talked to you for about 20 or 30 minutes, just about diet and training and especially powerlifting and bodybuilding mix. So it's, it's fun to have you on the show because as we all get busier, you know, running companies and doing all the things we do, plus coaching on the side, we don't have time to keep up with all the good content being put out. So for me, selfishly, I'm excited to sit back and listen about the vertical diet because I've been just so, you know how it is, you get in your own little world and you just don't have the time to get out and see the good content being put out. Man, I'm excited to hear about what you have because your book's got 550 five-star reviews on Amazon. Like it's, I'm going to go buy it right after this. But I'm excited just to hear that. So that's kind of my my stand story for the podcast. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. You bet, man. All right. So, you know, obviously you're like most well known for like vertical diet and you came up with this on your own. So we kind of wanted to start by just getting into that and just kind of the principles behind it and why it works so well. You know what? Can you kind of give a brief overview of that? You know, when I started training, uh, more people, you know, for the longest time, I was just competing and I was running my businesses. And then when uh, all that social media stuff and the YouTube stuff that Mark Bell and I did and all the coverage in the magazines from when I won my pro card and the world's strongest pro bodybuilder, and then I got on Shark Tank and I just started having lots and lots of people reach out to me, send me DMs and emails, and they kind of wanted to, they had a lot of questions. And so I just compiled everything I possibly new uh, into one document or book. I called it the Vertical Diet ebook, And it's really the culmination of everything I've learned from over 30 years of college, competing, coaching, being coached, collaborating with great athletes and great minds in the industry. Uh, it's a lot of trial and error, of course, and then bumping that up against the science by re- uh, recruiting a PhD RDN who was head of dietetics for UNLV. And we sat down for hundreds of hours and uh, we just dumped ourselves into this thing. It's got over 
200 references to peer-reviewed published literature, as well as lots of links to videos and articles. And, uh, you know, a lot of the people that I, whose, who's, uh, I think, credentials I respect and information I respect in the industry. And so I put it all together in one document, and that was, that became the Vertical Diet ebook. And I uh, did a presentation in Iceland with Hofgård Bjornsson uh, that became, you know, quite popular, almost 7 million views. And I spent two hours going over every aspect of it. And it really kind of popularized it. It, uh, it went viral and people bought my ebook. And then I started getting tons and tons of questions. I've responded to well over 100,000 DMs in the last four years. And, you know, I've traveled all over the world. I've been in 14 countries and all 50 states. I've done more than 200 seminars. I've just gotten so many questions. And every time I get uh, the same question repeatedly, I'll put it into the book. And I, so I, I started, I came out with the Vertical Diet 2.0. And then after another year or two of questions, I came out with Vertical Diet 3.0. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. So now it's over 225 pages. But it, it really isn't just diet. I know it's called the Vertical Diet. But it's sleep, hydration, nutrition, training, injury prevention and rehabilitation, obviously blood testing. Uh, it's obviously got workouts in there. There's a whole... Uh, just a litany of everything, every question I've really ever been asked, and it's still growing, and I'll have a 4.0 out before the end of the year. Uh, and so it's hard to really pin down one thing. Uh, it's everything, and I think it's the, uh, uh, I think it's important to recognize that it, it's really uh, putting together all of these things that make you successful. You can't obviously just do a diet well and not sleep and exercise, and you can't, you know, none of them work by themselves. It's uh, you kind of, you kind of got to do it all right if you really want to make progress. And so that's kind of what the vertical idea is. It's, it's everything I know, everything I've learned, every question I've answered. And I put it in the book and, uh, tried to make sure that it was, it was current and it was, uh, accurate and it was scientific and effective. That's awesome. Um, I think how you said that you put all the aspects of sleep, hydration, training, fatigue mm -hmm. management, all into that. That's something that we all focus on very highly. And a lot of the other like diets out there, are just that, just the diet part. And a lot of people don't understand that that all entails into it to be successful. So I'm excited to hear about how it's like different and like the same in the aspects of like things that we do from like functional health standpoint as well too. So Hey, real, real quick, uh, we're going to put this in the show notes, Stan. Where's the best place to buy your book? Obviously, it's on Amazon right now. I, we don't know how soon this episode is going to drop. It, it'll, it'll be decently soon. It's on sale for like 19 bucks. But what's the best place or places that they can buy it so we can link it up? Uh, yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, both have it. And then the ebook, which is more comprehensive, and it's the living document, and it has all the references and the links to literature and it has some more stuff on blood testing and water cutting. This, you know, specific stuff for athletes is in there. Uh, training, workout. The Vertical Diet book, the hard copy that's in Barnes and Noble, is largely nutrition. Uh, and then, of course, the ebook covers, you know, a, a, a larger amount of stuff. And that's just available at StanEfforting.com. You can download the ebook there. It's a username password access. So every time I update it. You get all the previous information. Uh, I, I include it for free to anybody who's bought a previous uh, issue. It's awesome. Yeah, awesome. we've got it. We've got it in the show notes there. So if you're listening, you can just check that out after the show if you want to grab it. Cool. Um, so I guess starting with just like kind of the the meat and potatoes of it, I guess you could say, is like what what foods are typically vertical diet, and like is there any ones that they should avoid more so? 
Yeah, let's talk over nutrition. Obviously, the big rock supply, if you want to gain weight, you have to be in a calorie surplus. And if you want to lose weight, you have to be in a calorie deficit. Calories are king. Um, I work with athletes that, you know, like Hofthor Bjornsson and Brian Shaw, that have to eat seven plus thousand calories a day to maintain their 400 pound frames. But I also diet uh, professional athletes like Nadia Wyatt, who took third in the Miss Olympia and second in the Arnold and uh, Tiny Tiff, who was 103 pounds when she set her world record in powerlifting. Uh, so I work with both on both ends of the spectrum and the diet uh, is a little different for each individual. Obviously, it's the same foundation. However, it's just different in terms of caloric intake. It kind of evolved from my experience in the bodybuilding figure physique bikini industry, the professional dieters uh, that I started training way back in the late 80s and early 90s. And I found that those diets were very restrictive, um, particularly for women. Uh, as you know, if you go to a typical nutritionist or a guru dieter in the bodybuilding industry, uh, they're going to tell you what to exclude and tell you to exclude red meat, exclude dairy, exclude fruit, don't eat sodium. Uh, they have this whole list of things you're not supposed to eat. And ultimately, you walk out of there with, uh, you know, boneless, skinless chicken breast, tilapia, uh, egg whites, protein powders and, and, uh, and broccoli. And maybe a scoop of peanut butter, which turns into a handful or a shovelful. Yeah, but yeah. that was that, that was the diet, and unfortunately, it resulted. It manifested itself in a whole host of different health problems for women, uh, which we know kind of as the female triad. Uh, you know, chronic calorie restriction, um, uh, anemia, uh, osteopenia and osteoporosis, uh, amenorrhea, cessation of menstrual period. Uh, and I would commonly see this, you know, just fatigue, depression, uh, skin, hair, and nails drying out, hypothyroidism, and the hair start falling out. And this was very common. It's still to this day, unfortunately, uh, very right. common. It's, it's become more, uh, I think, uh, important to me as this industry has exploded and the social media uh, has evolved. And a lot of the general population, the soccer moms out there, uh, start following these same programs, thinking that these women are in the, you know, quote unquote, best shapes of their lives and don't understand the dirty uh, underside of the underbelly of this industry and what's really going on behind the scenes. And so yeah. I wanted the diet to be more inclusive for these women in particular. I wanted to make sure that they got the egg yolk in their diet because they need the choline and the biotin for their skin, hair and nails. Uh, I want to make sure they got some red meat in their diet um, because the iron and B12 and zinc, which would obviously be important for the anemia. Uh, I wanted to make sure they got adequate calcium in their diet, which is essential, particularly for women, uh, for bone mineral density. And so I, I left dairy in the diet. And I just started including things that had long since been excluded. Uh, there, there's really nothing that I, I forbid in the diet per se. I just try and make sure that they include the micronutrients that are important and sufficient protein, obviously, which is, you know, that's commonly been done pretty well in the, in the physique industry. Uh, but not a lot of the soccer moms get sufficient protein. And so I really, I really hound on that for, you know, so many reasons that, that we're all aware of, you know, blood glucose control and, uh, you know, lean body mass retention, strength and metabolism and satiety and, the thermic effect and all those things, you know, are so beneficial with respect to protein. So I lead with about a 30% of total calories in terms of protein. Somewhere about a gram of protein per pound of lean weight or goal weight uh, is, is, I think is sufficient. To, um, and then if I switch gears and I want to talk about the guys that are bulking, you know, we used to just do the, you know, the, the uh, dirty bulk, we would eat pizza, pasta, pancakes, you know, 
uh, burritos, uh, restaurants, just whatever it took to get enough calories to grow. And unfortunately, as I experienced throughout my career, and I, I should interject here and mention that, that I competed in both bodybuilding and powerlifting for nearly 25 years. Uh, so I bulked up to over 300 pounds to become a, 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 you know, the best powerlifter I could be and obviously got fat along the way. And then I dieted down to single digit body fat uh, to compete on an IFBB professional stage. I've gained and lost, albeit intentionally, over a thousand pounds throughout my career. I've learned a lot uh, on both ends of the spectrum along the way, a lot of mistakes that I made. Uh, and so what often I see in guys that are bulking with the dirty bulks and the excessive calories and too much saturated fat is they start experiencing metabolic syndrome. And that's fatty liver, high lipids, high blood pressure, you know, all the things you want to avoid to be able to, uh, you know, to live long and to uh, have a long career and be healthy. And so, uh, you know, I intervened on, on their behalf and I started using uh, a lower saturated fat diet that, uh, um, that was high in protein, obviously, and uh, included things that are important for their liver, like choline uh, is very important. Blood sugars, also very important. Uh, a CPAP for sleep. Uh, things I commonly saw with the heavy athletes that I control with the diet. I have a high blood pressure quick fix kit, a high blood sugar quick fix kit, a high cholesterol quick fix kit with, with kind of in a hierarchy of most important to least of things that you want to do to, uh, to avoid metabolic syndrome. And, and so I, I put both, uh, both pathways in the book and whether it's a Hofdor Bjornsson or it's a tiny tiff, uh, they build a foundation of highly bioavailable, micronutrient-dense uh, uh, foods, easy to digest. I think that's probably one thing that also is, is talked about a lot with a vertical diet is, you know, and the dieters tend to stuff themselves full of broccoli to, to fill themselves up. And that can lead to problems with, uh, you know, IBS and, and you know, really bad gas and bloating and uh, discomfort. And so, you know, I talk about the FODMAP diet, the fermentable oligodye monosaccharides and polyols and how you kind of want to try and reduce those, not eliminate them. It's not a good food, bad food conversation, but it's individualistic. It's dose dependent, how the foods are prepared matters and uh, it is cumulative in nature. And so I, I just, I bring that to every to their attention and allow them to choose the foods that still uh, providing the health benefit, but uh, avoid a lot of those the side effects of, of all the gas and bloating. And the same would be true for the guys that are bulking. There are certain foods that fill you up and make you miserable and give you diarrhea. And uh, you know that's a common problem with, uh, with the big athletes that I work with. Uh, and they need to be able to consume more foods. And so I, I need to find them foods that are easy to digest and, uh, and some tips and tricks to help them get the number of calories that they need in a day without being completely exhausted and overwhelmed by the burden of, of that, uh, of trying to eat that much food. So I know I lumped those two together, but really it, they're inseparable in terms of what the diet tries to do for different athletes. I've got a real quick question, if you don't mind, and I'm trying to think about our listeners. Um, can you give an idea, just like a general breakdown of just a generic diet layout like like for Let's the day it. for somebody yeah yeah well and to, to step on you know to, to go further on that because i don't really know the answer to this like why is it called vertical like is, are you going high and barely low or are you doing a bunch of low days and high or does it have nothing to do with that <laughs> so <laughs> I, i'm curious how you set all that up uh, uh you know carb cycling calorie cycling what what, what is it yeah. You know, and I don't know that the name has any specific meaning necessarily. I, I wanted to build a foundation upon which you could build any structure. 
Uh, you can't put a three bedroom home on a two bedroom foundation. You know, how tall is a pyramid? Look at its base. And so really the, the foundation of the diet uh, allowed me to build a Hofdor Bjornsson or a, a three a day CrossFitter or an NFL football player or even a busy soccer mom uh, dropping her kids off at school and then working all day out of the trunk of her car as a real estate agent. And, uh, you know, and then those those kinds of things, all of that needs supported by a good foundation. Uh, which isn't just nutrition. Again, it's sleep is very important. And then being able to uh, accommodate uh, the, the right exercise program and uh, compliance with all of that is really paramount in the book. I talk about compliance as the science and the best ways to be able to adhere to these programs and designing a program that becomes part of a lifestyle, it's simple, sensible, and sustainable. Uh, because as we know, adherence, uh, you know, long-term compliance is really uh, the uh, most critical factor in terms of weight loss maintenance or just you know, being able to stay on any program. So uh, I mentioned calories. Calories are king. Second, of course, is macros. If you're going to uh, take this stepwise in a hierarchy of most important, least important. And of the macros, protein being the most important. I referenced earlier that about 30 percent of your total calories uh, should be protein. And I, I like to use a variety of protein sources, lean protein sources, uh, maybe some top sirloin steak or some bison or, or you know, a lean 96-4 beef. Um, I like to use a, an egg or two every day, depending on the size of the athlete and their, their needs. I like to incorporate some dairy, of course. And if you can't tolerate lactose from milk and then yogurt is, is much uh, better tolerated, has lower lactose and some um, digestive enzymes in there, such as a, a fat-free Greek yogurt or uh, maybe even cheddar cheese uh, is pretty well tolerated in terms of lactose. Um, and I have a whole chapter on, on dairy and lactose tolerance and how people can, uh, you know, uh, get through some of the maybe a, a, a down regulation of the, uh, the lactase enzyme or, uh, you know, titrate smaller doses over time to find out what they can tolerate. But it's very important to get the calcium in, not just for bones, but for, um, uh, for nerve signaling and for uh, muscle contraction and relaxation. It's just critical. Um, now, as far as uh, the other macros go, fats and carbs, uh, as we know from the research, from the diet fits trial and others now, it, it, as long as uh, you control for calories and protein, it doesn't seem mm. to matter for weight loss where your fats and carbs are. It's a matter of personal preference. Whatever's diet is easiest for you to comply, how you feel good. Uh, and so I'm not too particular about that. I do have a chapter where I talk about if you go too low on carbs, some of the potential downsides of that in terms of uh, the, what they call the, um, uh, the keto flu, the fatigue you get from not just losing the glycogen, but the water associated with that and the electrolytes. And some people get tired. And so, you know, we, we mitigate that. I don't uh, I don't tell people not to do it. I just tell them here's potentially what you're going to need to uh, to man how you're going to manage some of the potential problems. So, uh, but as, it, as it, when it comes to performance, I, I must say, uh, we do need to get a minimum amount of fat. You can't take fats out altogether. They're important for health. And so we look at those somewhere around 30%. And if I'm dieting somebody for a show, then we start kind of dropping that down to 27, 25, 22, and, and you know, stepwise. And the reason I, I drop that and keep the carbs in for people competing is because carbs are important for performance. Uh, fats are important for health. They have to stay in the diet, but fats beyond that, which provides you a health benefit, don't give you a performance benefit. We know that, that glucose and glycogen is important for anaerobic exercise. We see study after study after study that uh, people's performance improves. They can do a few more sets and a couple more reps. And uh, the cumulative benefit of that uh, performance in that bout of training 
uh, over time is, is what we're really focused on in terms of trying to maintain lean mass or build muscle for uh, competitive athletes. And that would be true of, of you know, football players and uh, a whole host of different sports athletes, too. We keep the carbs in there for performance primarily. Uh, most diets, women in particular, are on a calorie deficit. Maybe they're only consuming 17, 1800 calories a day. By the time they get their protein in and their fat requirements, there's not a whole lot of carbs left before they've hit their ceiling. And the foundation of those carbs is going to be potassium carbs, uh, say a potato, spinach, uh, some yogurt, uh, an orange, uh, you know, some fruit. You want, I start with high potassium carbs. Get them their 4,700 milligrams of potassium first, and they're pretty much done with carbs once they've, uh, once they've consumed uh, those items. Uh, daily potato is 1,000 milligrams, which is twice as much as a banana, for, like I say. Um, I give them high satiety foods so that they, they aren't too hungry when they diet. Boiled potatoes and oranges are on the top of that list, and they also provide the potassium benefit. Uh, for my bulking athletes, when it comes to carbs, once they've satisfied their potassium requirements with the daily potato and the, and the fruit, uh, you know, the soluble fibers that I like to have with a, a low saturated fat diet to manage lipids, um, now I need to fill them up. I need to, I need to be able to maintain their mass or their workload. Uh, and I, I can't, uh, I can't overstuff them with things that are going to be hard to digest. And so that's where I head into the white rice. It's just easy to consume a lot of it, digest quickly, and you're hungry again uh, soon enough to where you can, you can eat. So that's kind of a strategy that I use there. And so I think we've covered uh, total calories. We've covered our macros, proteins, fats, and carbs, and some of the, the proteins that I like to use. Uh, I didn't mention salmon twice a week for uh, EPA and DHA, of course, is in there. Um, and then we've covered kind of the fats and carbs uh, uh, that we like and the micronutrients, which is based mostly in calcium, potassium, uh, generally supplement magnesium and vitamin D3. They're hard to get from the diet. Uh, so I, uh, I do that. And, um, you know, we like to do blood testing to see if they are deficient. I don't just, you know, willy nilly like to throw supplements at folks. I want to make sure it's effective for them. Uh, I think that that covers the big rocks for, for the diet. I know that you're big on like orange juice and cranberry juice too. Do you like, what's the benefit of the juices versus just having orange? Um, and then like with like bulking yeah. athletes, for example, too. Yeah. Let's start with the cranberry juice. It's high in iodine. We talked about uh, female competitors with those restrictive diets and uh, how they get hypothyroidism. And that's usually due to an iodine deficiency. And they end up with getting hypothyroid for lack of iodine, which also helps with digestion, by the way. And so they need an iodine food. This comes all the way back from Vince Garanda in the 60s talking about uh, eating sea kelp. I just don't know how many people are going to eat sea kelp. And so, again, yeah. <laughs> keeping with uh, you know, the, the simple, sensible and sustainable, I have to find a diet that you enjoy and fits your lifestyle. So uh, cranberry juice, very high in, in iodine. Uh, 150 micrograms a day is the RDA. Uh, we sweat out iodine and, and you know, our active individuals sweat quite a bit. So. I like to get maybe two to three times that, somewhere around 300 to 600 micrograms a day. Some people may need a full milligram, but uh, I can get that from just three to six ounces of, uh, of cranberry juice daily. So that's the purpose of the cranberry juice for iodine. As far as the orange juice goes, um, I mentioned earlier that I like to get high potassium foods, uh, which is potatoes and fruit uh, and yogurt. Uh, for people who are dieting and, are, and need satiety, but the satiety benefit, I use oranges. They're, they're really high on the satiety index, right up there with boiled potatoes. You just stay full longer. You know, your perception of fullness of satiety is, is better. So 
those are just small strategies, tools that we use in our toolbox to, keep, to improve adherence. Uh, but for people who are trying to gain weight, uh, I don't want to stuff them full of, of too many you know, high satiety foods. So I go with the orange juice for a few reasons. Um, I've noticed that uh, just a small amount, maybe four ounces. I've noticed that it helps with appetite. Uh, I've noticed that it reduces AST, ALT in some of my uh, athletes. That's your liver enzymes. I experienced that through blood testing. I've had over 150 blood tests throughout my career. And when uh, some of the bigger athletes get near competition, uh, they might start to lose appetite because of an elevation of liver enzymes for one reason or another. Generally, it's performance enhancing drugs, orals in particular, uh, will hit the liver pretty hard. And so they lose their appetite. So I use little strategies. I mentioned the white rice. I'll sprinkle a little dextrose on it just so people can get their calories in. But I have to get that liver healthy if I want people, uh, you know, both for long-term health, but also in terms of performance, the ability to eat the calories. We do that in one way, as I mentioned earlier, by getting sufficient choline. Choline helps prevent and reverse fatty liver disease. Uh, we try and avoid saturated, uh, too many saturated fats. We keep those under 10% of total calories. Um, and we do that with lean meats and, and like I said, fat-free Greek yogurt and, um, you know, say a bison or 96-4 beef and some chicken, of course. Uh, but the orange juice also seems to help with metabolism and appetite. It raises your body temperature uh, and you're just hungry again sooner. And that's kind of one of the things that, that I, I have to focus on for, uh, for big athletes that have to eat a lot of food. They just tend to be overwhelmed with, uh, you know, the... Uh, trying to get enough calories in or being hungry when they're supposed to eat their next meal. And that probably the, one of the biggest things that, uh, that I did for do for a lot of the big athletes is just make it easier for them to do what they need to do. Uh, Hoff Thor, you know, had to eat a ton of calories. Brian Shaw a week after he started the diet called me up and he said, Stan, he said, I'm hungry because I, I haven't been hungry in years. And that was just from the, the foods that I selected. I have a good video on YouTube called 14 tips to improve your appetite. And uh, those are in the book and the ebook as well. But these are just strategies that I use for people that are bulking. And that uh, might be a long explanation, but I know people uh, tend to associate fruit juice with sugar and fructose and, uh, you know, start to scream and yell about fatty liver. But it just isn't supported in the literature. And, and I, I think that uh, it's it's been um, uh, it's been demonized. We also have plenty of studies to show that uh, in a hypocaloric diet, uh, fructose, high fructose corn syrup, sugar of any sort. Uh, doesn't have uh, any uh, adverse effects on the liver until you get uh, a significant excess. Uh, and that would be true of any calorie. You know, I, I, I like the fact that you pointed out, you really like to pay attention to two main things for most people, and that's total calories and protein. And I've dabbled with that a lot over the, the last few years with some people that I know are going to track their calories and their macros close, right? So they can they can kind of play with the carbs and fats. And maybe if one day they want to have more carbs, if they're dragging or one day they want to have more fats, as long as they get their total calories and protein in, it's really kind of splitting hairs. Um, do you take that approach with your athletes that are getting on stage? Because that's one thing I haven't done. And it's not out of fear. It's just because most of my athletes want me to tell them exactly what to eat. Have you let them have that freedom selecting carbs and fats to get to stage? You know, John, that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, a lot of my athletes are the same. They're like, Stan, just tell me exactly what to eat. And they want right. to follow that. And you, you give them a little rope and they'll hang themselves. And so right. uh, a few things on that note, you know, if it fits your macros was a popular uh, term that I think was coined by either uh, or in combination by Lane Norton and Alan Aragon so many years ago. And then it got bastardized into pop tarts and protein powder. You know, people just completely went 
uh, full Monty on, on, on uh, if it fits your macros. It was really never intended to be that way. So uh, Lane and Alan both now talk about flexible dieting, which has a, a, little, a, a little more, uh, I think, structure to it. And they talk about maybe an 80-20 in terms of, of uh, whole foods to processed foods is what I'll say. Not good foods, bad foods. And as long as you're, again, meeting your caloric uh, allotment and getting sufficient the macros that we desire, which, you know, we covered as protein at 30% and fats somewhere around that and the sufficient carbs. I'll say this on, on, on that point. And I, I, I'm a little particular about athletes in particular, and you talked about a competitor, uh, getting sufficient carbohydrates because the training stimulus is so important for maintaining or gaining lean mass, which is ultimately the, uh, you, you know, the, the, the Holy grail for, uh, sports performance and certainly for any physique sport, um, if their performance in the gym starts to suffer and decline, I, I know they're losing muscle tissue and that, that, you know, if they lose strength or, uh, just can't perform the same amount of, uh, you know, reps and sets and volume, I focus on that very aggressively. Now I do know as the calorie deficit in the, in the weight loss, uh, starts to get closer and closer to competition, you'll lose some muscular endurance, but I don't want you to lose too much strength. I'm okay if you do one less set, uh, but I'm not okay if, if you get really, really weak, because then uh, I think that could be uh, directly seen in a loss of, of lean muscle tissue. Uh, so I hope that specifically answers the question, but I'm, I'm, I am focused on four competitors, a very specific macro. And I'd also say this for people that are dieting, and I'm, I touched on it earlier, when you're in a calorie deficit, you have fewer, you have less room to be flexible and still satisfy your protein yeah. requirement and your micronutrient requirements. And if you're doing the, the Pop-Tarts and protein powder, where's your iron? Where's your calcium? Where's your potassium? I need to, to build that foundation first and then whatever's left over, knock yourself out. But I find there's not a whole lot of calories left over for most of the uh, weight loss diets. Mm -hmm. And that might just be something that you can have small amounts of, uh, maybe just to prevent binging. But uh, it's I, I have a hard time programming in any significant amount because most of that stuff's pretty calorie dense. Do you um, do you like to program like a day of high calories, a free meal? How, what's your kind of thoughts on how that falls into the vertical diet? Like some day to, to feed up or to hit maintenance or to fill back out and just have more energy. Is there somewhere in there for that? Yeah, we try and put about 60% of the calories around the workout. And that would be kind of the only real. Uh, and, and I also would like to leave a little bit of carbs for dinner because I find that as people lose weight, their sleep is adversely affected. When you get down into the keto range, uh, you'll find that, that your adrenaline goes up and cortisol goes up and a little hard to sleep. Maybe you wake up with a elevated fasted glucose, those kinds of things that I, I commonly see. And uh, so I, I try and at least find out if that's happening and then offer some sort of uh, uh, arrangement so they can have a solution. Kayla, are you there? I don't know if. It looks like Kayla may have froze for a second. Um, are you there, there Kayla? Is. Sorry. Oh, my you're good. thing is getting all like splotchy. I don't know why, but huh. anyways, um, no, that was awesome. But any other questions, I guess, before I move on? Nope. Go ahead. We're good. Yeah, she's freezing up. So it's okay. I've got the show notes in front of me. So Stan, I know you're real big. Kayla's got this in the notes. 
on water and salt. So why is that so important? Because so many people demonize water towards the end of, you know what I mean? For peak week, we're not necessarily talking about that, but you know, when people go a little low carb, insulin's lower, salt retention, you kind of alluded to that earlier. It you start to excrete salt. Why is that so important to control and make sure you're getting adequate yeah. amounts? You know, and let's be specific. We're talking about athletes here. Scott University just posted a video where I was talking about athletes, but it was a 30-second clip that was kind of clumped together. And everybody in the comments was going apeshit about how it can raise blood pressure and it's not good for, you know, talk to your doctor, blah, blah, blah. This kind of advice isn't intended for the general public. Uh, I will say this for the general public. If you have uh, salt sensitivity or hypertension, uh, then you should be reducing your sodium intake. You should be doing a host of other things that are even more important as well, like sleep apnea resolution is, uh, can, can lower systolic blood pressure by 10 to 20 points, uh, getting sufficient potassium, obviously exercise, weight loss. There's a whole host of lifestyle behaviors that you should be implementing long before uh, sodium reduction becomes all that uh, big of an influence. Um, but that's only about 30% of the population. Uh, the, the rest of the population doesn't seem to be affected by uh, uh, anywhere from 3.3 to 5 grams of sodium a day. Not till you get north of 6 or 7 grams of, of sodium a day do you start to see uh, kind of a, a linear increase in, in, uh, in health problems. Uh, but it's, it, it's not nearly as significant as it would be for a hypertensive. And there's also somewhere between 5 and 15% of the population that's reverse salt sensitive. And if they get their salt too low, uh, then they'll have low blood pressure and, uh, uh, you know, dizziness. I've had clients that have this problem when they're trying to follow a DASH diet and they'll get up off of the leg press and have to hold on to something because they're dizzy. And so a little bit of experimentation needs to take place to work with their doctor. And, and sometimes we do incorporate uh, sodium into their diets and they just feel a lot better. And so long as their blood pressure isn't elevated, uh, sodium only seems to be um, a health problem in those people for whom it raises blood pressure. And it's the blood pressure elevation over time that increases cardiovascular disease risk. But salt by itself uh, doesn't appear to have any other issues unless huge excesses uh, occur, in which case stomach cancer. But we're talking about 20, 30 plus grams a day, uh, which is you know an enormous amount, but not atypical to what the Japanese uh, have, have consumed for uh, many, many decades or hundreds of years because they would uh, uh, they would preserve all of their fish uh, in salt as as we did prior to refrigeration. So uh, so let me get to the athletes. When we're talking about athletes, athletes generally tend to sweat out about two to two and a half grams of sodium per hour on average. I've worked closely with the people from Dr. Sandra Godick's group, the Heat Institute. Uh, uh, she's a PhD in thermoregulation and hydration. They do sweat testing on a bunch of the NFL football teams, and they send me sweat test patches. And I gave them to a bunch of my athletes, John Jones and Brian Shaw and Hofthor and others, Ben Smith, uh, the uh, uh, former CrossFit national champion. So we can actually see how much they sweat out per hour. And uh, Lane Johnson sweats out five grams of sodium per hour. Wow. Uh, now that has to be replaced for performance. And so <clears throat> I, I, on more than a few occasions, I've cramped up uh, once in the middle of a powerlifting meet so bad I thought I had to go to the hospital. And uh, fortunately, uh, uh, Jesse Burdick had a, an entire tube of Nun tablets, and I sat there and drank basically salt water uh, for half an hour straight in order just to be able to finish the meet. Same thing happened to Larry Wheels some years later when I was uh, there with him, and uh, we did the same thing. Uh, I've had a lot of athletes. Uh, ben Smith suffered from heat stroke uh, uh, in training one early summer in uh, New York. And we had to 
get uh, Sandra Godick's group involved in getting that taken care of before CrossFit national CrossFit uh, championships. So we're talking about a group of people who sweat every day and you should pay attention and restore. Plus a lot of these athletes aren't eating, nor do I eat uh, fast food or processed food, which is where 70% of your sodium comes from. If you're eating Pringles and, and fast food, you probably don't need to add salt to your diet. But, uh, you know, we in the fitness industry, we generally eat a lot of whole foods. We eat pretty, quote unquote, clean. <clears throat> and so adding some salt back into your diet uh, is, I, I think, not only, uh, uh, I think it's essential. And, you know, for performance in particular, if you're sweating and eating, uh, you know, a whole foods diet, then you shouldn't be afraid. Like you said, we've demonized salt to the point where I see athletes, uh, you know, tired and underperforming and their muscles get flat and uh, they get to the gym and they're just exhausted. A little bit of salt and all of a sudden, you know, they can finish their workout and they have stamina and energy and endurance. And, uh, you know, it's very important for the training bout, as we discussed in length earlier. Uh, that's that's what I'm focused on. I, I don't just want to show up and, and, you know, mull their way through a workout. I, I want it to be a substantial and significant training session. So I do use sodium. I, I just salt the food and it doesn't matter what salt, pink salt. I like to use iodized salt because of the iodine, as mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, there's no iodine in pink salt and there's no difference between the two in terms of <laughs> the, their benefit for, uh, for having salt in the diet. So I hope I covered all the nuances so that, uh, you know, the audience doesn't, uh, doesn't go crazy talking about sedentary, elderly, overweight hypertensives while I'm talking about athletes. <laughs> I, <clears throat> there was a coach, <clears throat> sorry guys, my throat's uh, local to me, that used to cut sodium from his athletes programs 12 weeks out. I mean, just decimated. You're on boiled chicken. You can't add sodium. <clears throat> and these, most of them were women. And yeah. they get to the stage and then gain 30 pounds yes. post-show, not even eating that bad, but they would blow up and their feet and hands look like sausages. It was a, kind of a, un, a very unhealthy practice. Uh, I hope he's changed his ways or he's been ran out of business. But, uh, I mean, this wasn't that long ago. I mean, 10 years. You know what's sad about that, Jason, is I saw that in 1990 when I was helping someone at the Miss Oregon uh, and, and she had restricted salt for too long, two days after the show, her edema was so bad. She had to go to the hospital yep. and, and be put on Lasix. Yep. Uh, it's dangerous. It is dangerous. I don't think sodium should be restricted. I don't think at all. Lane Norton in his, uh, in his book, um, I'm forgetting the title of it, but he, he has a book for pre-contest dieting. Uh, he talks about the fact, I mean, we know that salt and carbohydrates uh, hydrate the muscle, which is what you're trying to show on stage. And there's really no cause to restrict it. The only time I restrict sodium is to help uh, an athlete meet uh, a weight requirement for, say, uh, UFC fighting or bodybuilding or what have you. Uh, and even then, only if it's a 24-hour weigh-in. Uh, I don't do salt depletions for a same-day weigh-in. Um, <laughs> And I only cut salt for 48 hours. And during half of that time, I'm, I'm pouring water in them to the tune of two gallons a day. And so we really only see one day of sodium depletion for these guys. And that's an extreme situation. I detail that in the book as well on water cuts and refeeds. 
Yeah, just real quick for those of you watching on YouTube, I'll I'll throw this up here. I don't even know if if it can be seen or not, but this guy had a massive amount of sodium right before stage. And it's just yeah. one of those things to where in, in a the correct time and place, you can get a lot of cell swelling and, and good things done with sodium. But Stan, I was gonna ask you why we're on the sodium on the sodium thing. You've been around way longer than we have. I, Jason and I are kind of mid 2000s. Uh, Kayla's younger than that. You've been around since the 80s. Low sodium was such a staple back then. And while we're talking about it now, how much have you seen the industry kind of shift away? You know, do you think things like social media and having more of a platform has helped educate people on some of the the mistakes? Because I know Kayla's going to ask you about mistakes with the diet, but how much have you seen like mistakes change from the 80s and 90s to now more of this information age? Have you seen quite a bit of that? Unfortunately, not. One thing I did see about five years ago, I started to see the uh, the really science-based, academically credentialed competitors, the Lane Nortons of the world, the Greg Knuckles, the people from Barbell Medicine, Alan Oregon's, Brad Schoenfeld's. I mean, these guys are just golden. I mean, they're a gift to our industry. Uh, we didn't have the internet when I was coming up. I had to learn all these things, but you know, just by trial and error, and of course, seeing other people go through these very difficult times. Uh, I had hoped that things would improve because I saw those people, you know, quickly rising to the top um, uh, and, and getting to a lot of conferences and talking to a lot of people and having a big audience. Unfortunately, social media is, is so big and so broad. And then TikTok came around and it's just the same nonsense over and over again being repeated. Right. Uh, I do like the fact and, and I'm I'm very uh, very cautious about uh, that they call people out uh, because then we don't then, then generally speaking uh, you know people who are giving a lot of disinformation don't hang around for very long because they they get uh, uh, they get scienced by these folks yeah. that are you know especially those that are doing harm to people like you said cutting salt out for three weeks before a, a competition it's just uh, it's terrible I was going to say lastly <laughs> on sodium. The ISSN, the NSCA, the, uh, and, the, and the rest of these organizations have a very uh, have a kind of a position stand with respect to salt, and it's for rehydration. Uh, we weigh our athletes before and after training, and for every kilogram or every two or so pounds you lose during training, you should drink about one to one point five liters of water with 500 to 1,000 milligrams of sodium, which is uh, one or two sodium chloride tablets, uh, and about a five or 6% glucose solution. And that's what they recommend post-training, particularly for those people who train twice a day. Uh, the others will probably get sufficient hydration just from their regular meals and water until their next day of training. <clears throat> I do incorporate some, uh, some sodium before workout, a small amount, uh, just a sodium chloride tablet is 400 milligrams with some water and, and maybe a little OJ, uh, just because I've found that it increases my stamina and endurance. I, I don't hit a wall. I can, uh, I get into the gym and I just, I just feel like I can do more sets and more reps and I still have energy, you know, 30, 40 minutes into the workout. And so I have been recommending that, uh, but again, it's not, it's not a more is better scenario. Uh, you take in too much salt and for lack of a better expression, you're going to piss it out your ass. You, 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 <laughs> that people often make with the vertical diet. So what do you typically see, you know, happening or people get mis, um, 
misinformed about with this? Yeah, I think part of it is that, that I do recommend low FODMAPs for those people who have IBS. And I don't want to I don't want it to turn into a good food, bad food conversation because people always ask me, is this allowed on the vertical diet? Uh, and, and it really kind of depends on how you tolerate certain foods. And I ask that in my questionnaire, favorite foods. And generally people kind of know uh, I can't eat garlic or onions. Uh, I, obviously, I've, I've talked about how I can't eat seed oils. They cause me gastric distress. Uh, it's a canola or soybean oil. I just I, I just get diarrhea. And so uh, I avoid those. And I uh, you know recommend people who have the same problem do that as well. Uh, in my book, I, I put very clearly that it's not, again, it's not a good food, bad food conversation. I came out pretty hard against sea oils, but I expressed my bias. I said, look, I'm biased. They are a poison to me. Uh, my biggest problem with them is that the vast majority of seed oils are, are in ultra processed foods. And we consume 70 to 70%, 75% of our diet is ultra processed foods. So if you are consuming seed oils, then you're probably also consuming uh, too much ultra processed foods. And we know from the Kevin Hall's study that just recently came out that when you're consuming ultra processed foods, you ad libitum tend to eat about 500 extra calories a day. And it's those extra calories that have accumulated and caused the majority of our of our obesity uh, problem. Uh, I'm not afraid of fats, but I do understand that saturated fats uh, can uh, elevate LDL and lead to cardiovascular disease risk. And I think some people think because I have red meat in the diet that it's carte blanche to uh, eat a whole bunch of uh, bacon and ribeyes. And uh, in fact, my diet recommends eating less than 30% of total calories from fat and using lean sources. And lean sources are generally about a third saturated fat. So if uh, say a top sirloin steak has five grams of fat, it only has 1.5 grams of saturated fat. So let's do the math. 30% total calories are fat. 30% of the fat calories are saturated fats. 30% times 30%, that's 9% of your total calories as saturated fat. And the AHA recommends keeping saturated fats under 10%. I also mentioned the foundation of the diet intends to throw some fibers, soluble fibers in particular, whether it's fruit, uh, whole potatoes with the skin, uh, a little bit of oatmeal, and those kinds of things also can help keep LDLs under control. I do blood testing on all my athletes, and I look at lipids, and I look at LDLs, uh, along with all the other markers so uh, I, I think that folks sometimes will get carried away uh, and just eat too much fat overall. If you want to go keto, then you're going to have to, again, uh, keep your saturated fats low, utilize a lot more nuts and seeds and avocados and uh, olive oil and those kinds of things uh, in order to avoid the LDL elevations because it, it, we do show a, uh, a causal relationship between LDL elevation and heart disease. And we're big enough uh, such that, you know, when we eat enough and generally have our, our blood pressure kind of on the upper end enough. Yeah. So we don't want to compound that problem uh, with uh, high LDLs. No, I think that's a really good point. Um, and I think a lot of people do get carried away with like the fats part, especially, you know, with not just this, but just keto in general too. We had a, we did an episode on keto and we're going to do another one on there because we're doing part two with it, but but yeah, um, do you guys have any last questions for Stan? Hey, let me let me toss in there. I, this is really interesting. Uh, look, I've been around over 30 years, as you know. Uh, if there's nothing else, I'm patient, okay? I learn from observing, from personal experience, and, and I'm, I'm certainly, uh, you know, up to date on the science. I, I went back and got my CSCS, and I took uh, courses at UNLV, and I, I partnered with an RDN PhD. 
I read everybody's stuff. You know, I, I subscribe to uh, Lane Norton's stuff, uh, 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 all of the, you know, Alan Aragon. I've, I've been to Barbell Medicine Seminar, uh, you know, read Brad Schoenfeld's book. I, I read everybody's everything. I spend a couple hours a day just learning and watching. Uh, I've been on a lot of podcasts. I, you know, I, I, I was on uh, uh, Sean Baker's Carnivore uh, podcast. Uh, I was on Paul Saladino's podcast. I was one of the first people that said, told Paul he should uh, get start eating fruit. Well, what's Paul doing now? He's eating fruit. Mm-hmm. I was on Mike Mutzel's <clears throat> podcast. He was hardcore uh, carnivore keto back then. And if you've seen uh, Mike more recently, he's started to incorporate uh, carbohydrates into his diet because he wants to improve his workout. Um, we watched Peter Atia famously piss on keto sticks for three years. Uh, and of course, now he's eating carbohydrates. It, it, it just, to me, I'm just patient. It, it's, a, it's an inevitable eventuality uh, that all these people will figure out. Uh, Mark Bell, the war on carbs, uh, currently eats carbs. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I could keep going on and on. They, they, they're all uh, the keto fad uh, for whatever reason. And, and uh, oh, even uh, Thomas DeLauer, of all people, the intermittent fasting keto king, uh, I went on his seminar and we had a long talk about carbohydrates and the importance of them uh, and for, uh, you know, all the reasons that, uh, that they benefit performance. Uh, and he most recently came out and said, look, I was wrong. Uh, keto is a great intervention. I talk about uh, using things like the carnivore diet as the ultimate elimination diet or uh, using something in a triage circumstance. If you have uh, type two diabetes, and, you know, you've got the HA1C in 6.8 or sevens. Uh, that might be a good time to jump on it to eliminate carbs for 30 days. Um, as we've seen from the literature in terms of, of uh, reversing type two diabetes, they usually go on a liquid diet. And within seven to 14 days, they can actually uh, start to see some, uh, some reduction in, um, in their uh, uh, HA1C. Uh, we know that about a 7% weight loss, irrespective of diet, is going to help uh, reverse type 2 diabetes. And uh, a 15% weight loss uh, can actually help restore beta cell uh, function for, uh, for those people who haven't been type 2 diabetic for too long. And so ultimately, obviously, the goal is going to be the weight loss. But uh, short term, uh, you know, those interventions such as keto, uh, I'm, I'm certainly not opposed to that, to, you know, for 30 to 60 days. Uh, but we see it six months and 12 months that they're no better than any any continuous calorie restriction diet. Uh, and all the problems that I mentioned earlier could manifest, uh, you know. So I just thought it was interesting with all of those people that I've been on their podcasts over the years that they all now eat at least fruit and, uh, you know, just some carbs uh, for performance. Because now you see the industry uh, has, has completely started focusing on strength. Uh, they talked about for years and years, talked about cardiovascular fitness being the primary indicator of, of, uh, longevity, you know, lifespan and health span. And now it's strength, 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 strength. Everybody says that the, the stronger you are, the longer you live and your VO two max is kind of dependent on your muscle mass because that's what uses the oxygen. So, uh, it, it's, it's kind of rewarding and I don't suggest everybody should be a power lifter or a bodybuilder, uh, but it's kind of rewarding to know that. Uh, if not by design, at least by happenstance, that we're here today uh, enjoying the fruits of our labor and being rewarded for it. <laughs> well, I know, I know, that Stan, we want to have you back on because we want to talk to you about a whole host of other things with some of them we didn't even get to looking at the show notes um, and plus business questions. Being an entrepreneur, there's so much more that we want to talk to you about. And I do know that Kayla is going to have for all of our listeners, all the ways to get a hold of you, get your book, the whole nine yards, follow you on social in the show notes. 
Um, but I don't have any other questions. Do you guys? No, not at the moment. No, I think we're good. That was that was like perfect way to end it. You know, like macros are just that they're all important and everyone should eat all macros. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Thanks, you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm happy Definitely. to come back anytime. We'll, we'll cover some more. Heck, yeah, that would be awesome. So yep. thank you so much, Stan. Thank we you. appreciate it a ton. And this is going to be really awesome for our listeners. All right, guys. All right. See, see you. Later. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye.